find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass, the number one Manchester United tactical podcast. I'm your host, Hayda Rabani. I'm joined today by Rob Blanchett, as always. Rob, Manchester United have won 2-1 in such dramatic fashion. I mean, look, you couldn't get more dramatic than those last five, six minutes. Jesse Lingard with a fantastic goal. Looked like he was going to clinch it for Manchester United. And then the penalty, Mark Noble came on as if he was some sort of quarterback in American football and missed it. David De Gea, that's now three penalty saves, probably what close to a decade. So, you know... They, they all come around once in a while, and obviously today we had that luck. So uh, welcome back. Welcome back to all our listeners. By the way, we're also only live on YouTube today. So if you are on Twitter, do give us uh, give our link a retweet. That'd be really, really great. We are just going to go exclusively live today on YouTube. But Rob, welcome back. What were your thoughts today? Because obviously we needed a, needed a response, didn't we, after the last game? It, it wasn't a good game, and you know a lot of fans were disappointed, rightly so. But you know what? Manchester United dug deep today. It wasn't vintage. But the 2-1 win brings us to the top of the table with Liverpool and Chelsea, I believe. Uh, a really great result, I think, especially as the game was panning out and how it looked. Again, not the most perfect performance from United. There's still things wrong. Not trying to be a downer on it, not trying to kind of uh, take the heat out of it. It was really a great victory, especially how United, I think, turned the tide in the game when it looked like it could have slipped away. But there's still things for Ole to work on. And that's a good thing if you're winning games. It's a nice, positive thing to be able to say, well, do you know what? We're not quite hitting our form. We're not quite getting the most out of all of the players. But do you know what? We're near the top of the league. Now, like I said last week, being at the top of the league at this time of the season doesn't really matter. It's very early. Let's get 10, 12 games in and then we can start talking about that. But I think there were positives and negatives today. And obviously, we'll discuss them all. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Rob, let's start with the, you know, the starting lineup and the selection. So I think the key here for United today, and we saw McTominay back. And uh, I think a lot of people, even myself, before he got injured, I was a little bit like, you know, McTominay, how much of a difference does he make to this Manchester United lineup? And, and more importantly, how much difference does he make for Fred? Because Fred honestly looked like a player who, he looks half the player without McTominay. I don't think that's too crazy to say. So we saw that, didn't we? We saw them come back in and that is Oli's first choice midfield. We saw Pogba pushed up to the left. Obviously, he played more with floating eight today. It's where he's better, Rob, for me. I think he's more effective. And we had, you know, him up there with Bruno Fernandes and Mason Greenwood. Right now, it looks like Mason Greenwood is that first choice uh, player on the right-hand side. I mean, what's, what do you, what's your thoughts on Jaden Sancho? Still very early days. Oli was very wax lyrical about him, obviously, saying he could be at United for 10, 12, 15 years. And I think Sancho is going to be fantastic. But as it stands right now, Rob, you know, Sancho isn't a starter. And uh, is there is there any point being concerned about it? Because some people are quite concerned about that. I don't think anyone should be concerned about it at all. Uh, I kind of formulated it in my head earlier on like this when people were talking about Sancho and, and obviously Greenwood. If Jaden Sancho has come to our football club for, say, mid-70 millions, what would you say, Haydar, is, is Greenwood's worth at the moment? I mean, look, Greenwood's close, close there or thereabouts, I would say. 
So there we go. So equivalent players. So I think when Ole is looking at this, that's how he looks at it. These are two players who probably have equivalent value. But of course, the difference is that Sancho's been in the Bundesliga rocking away with uh, with Dortmund, as he has done for the last few years and showing what he is. And now he's come to Manchester United. He's having a few teething issues, like I said in the last podcast. And I think that that is normal. I think rotation is normal. I think it's really normal that Greenwood starts games. So I don't have any worries about Sancho. I think a lot of United fans are looking at this and saying, you know, have United bought a player who's going to sit on the bench? Is this Donny van der Beek Mark II? You know, is Sancho as good as maybe the English press think he is? Well, I think he is. I think he's as good as we think. You know, when you look at his stats, you look at his assist records, his goal records, it's excellent. But then again, so is Greenwood. So I don't. I have no problems with the the selection today. When we look at that today, the four two three one, it's very samey. We know what it means. It's very Manchester United. It's very Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. No kind of real shocks. You said there about McTominay and Fred. Uh, I think that when they're back in the team, Manchester United are a better side. And I think we saw that today. And again, we can kind of explore that a little bit further. But also, I think what's crucial in this formation is Paul Pogba playing on the left-hand side. So I think you see there just in the metrics that uh, who scored use that he got 7.5 today. Um, that's very close to being one of the, the best performers on the pitch, certainly on the Manchester United side. Um, and you can see, I think, when he's just closer to the striker, he can get involved in areas that he's more comfortable in. You know, he doesn't have to go and do some of the dirty work that he's not so good at. But fine with the selection, fine with Sancho on the bench, uh, and also obviously very happy with uh, Jesse Lingard being on the bench in his role today. Yeah, Rob, when I look at the, the midfield today, my first thoughts were, I mean, let's just talk about sort of uh, one of Man United's problems this season. And I think we can all say, you know, we have been quite successful to, to the counter-attack. I think that's been something which has been... We haven't conceded many, and that's a lot of it's down to Varane. I think Varane's been fantastic in being able to jockey and to anticipate and to and to be a, a real, real sort of, um, you know, uh, top-class signing at the back. But when you're having a look at sort of Manchester United's issues, I think it's been centred around what's been going on midfield and who's in the pivot. Now, you're looking at, obviously, McTominay and Fred coming in. You always use the word dogs, and people don't like this, and it's not in a derogatory way. Rob's, what you mean, Rob, is that you, they are very much sort of, They'll do the dirty work and then they lay the foundations for the rest of the team, especially look at that attacking four of Pogba, Bruno, Ronaldo and Greenwood. It allows them to go and play. Are they perfect? No. Are they the most progressive? No. But I thought McTominay today coming back in, I know he only got 6.7, but some of the passes he made today were very, very good. I thought he was he was fantastic and he was very key to Manchester United winning this game. And we had to front up with West Ham, didn't we, today? You know, they're a physical side. Declan Rice has a good start to the season. Uh, you know, they're, they're very... Dangerous on the counter-attack as well. They've had the most sort of counter-attacking goals this season as well. So Manchester United really had to had to stop them. And I think, on, by and large, you know, I thought United were... I thought they fronted up physically. I thought we were better in large spells. We did drop off a little bit, sort of near 35 minutes to the end of the first half. But all in all, considering we played a very good West Ham side, I thought the midfield was key in us winning today. Yeah, spells FC should probably be what we called at Manchester United. Um I think when you look at how the balance of the game went and you look at uh, McTominay and Fred and what they do, you know, like you, you kind of alluded, alluded there about the word dogs that I use. You know, when I played game and uh, been in football teams, the best teams always have one or at least two dogs in there that go and do that dirty work. It's a hard job running around and confronting people all the time, creating conflict on a football pitch with an opponent. It's tough. It's a tough game. So we want 
you know, we want to play beautiful football, but I think at the same time, Manchester United need to play some simplicity. And I think that's what we saw today in the spells where United were good. And especially later on in the match, United finally got the ball on the deck and started playing five and 10 yard passes. Now in the first half, that wasn't there. That really wasn't there. United were doing what United do, trying to play what, what, we would call in the past as Hollywood football, you know, trying to play beautiful passes and kind of having uh, three or four movements around the ball. That's great if it all works, but it rarely works. The, the probability of it working is much smaller than a 10-yard progressive pass. So if you can make those things work, then you can get somewhere. And Scott McTominay is a guy that facilitates that. So he can go and do all the hard work. You saw with the West Ham goal actually comes from a mistake in the double pivot. What happens? They both get drawn across the line of the box. So McTominay and Fred are about two feet from each other. They could almost literally high-five each other. They're that close. And the ball breaks to the middle. What happens? It's an open shot. Then you're trying to recover, get across. Ferran gets there, gets a deflection. It's a goal. So that was disappointing. But for the rest of the game, the double pivot worked better than it has for most of the season. And that's because Scott McTominay was playing. So again, you're going to get a lot of people today who will get on Scotty's back and say, oh, well, he gave the ball away here and Fred didn't do this there and all of that. But tactically speaking, those two playing give Manchester United the opportunity to play better football. And we saw that, I think, in the second half. For, for me, first half, a little bit iffy. I think the tactics weren't quite on. Second half, Ole did one or two adjustments. You saw that United were a little bit more progressive. They stopped West Ham countering in the way that they were. Like West Ham were really having a, a laugh with it because you see the shape here that we've got here. It says 4-4-2. It wasn't really a 4-4-2. It was more of a kind of one at the top, but it allowed them to come from deep because United were standing off a bit and playing very deep and very slow. And the tempo was just non-existent again from United. I think that's a really worrying point. For me. Let, let's let's fill into the tempo issues, Rob, because that is something that I did pick up. You know, we spoke we spoke at West Ham on the break, and yet West Ham are very dangerous on the break. United are actually the side, obviously, with actually with the most uh, counterattacks this season as well. So we are a side that also does that very well. But when you play against sides, and West Ham do this, they're not going to be a side that presses you high up the pitch. They're going to play more of a mid to low block, as uh, as we know is sort of the David Moyes side. And I think one of the issues that we've had is when we've got possession, and this is not this is a recurring issue, we've got better at it as the, as a year or so has gone on, but we're still not moving the ball quick enough. And something that I sort of do want to pick up on, you know, is sort of uh, the interchanging and, uh, and using width. Because when Paul Popper does play on that left-hand side, he does come in, doesn't he, Rob? He, so you need Luke Shaw to push up. And for me, I think, I'm not sure the left-hand side worked particularly well today. But I think that, you know, what United need to do better is, one, move the ball quicker, a few more quicker interchanges, but also use use the width a bit more. And I don't think United have been doing that well enough this season. Our wing play hasn't been how it has been a couple of years, over the last couple of years. And I do think Marcus Rashford coming back actually is going to be a big, a big, big plus to Manchester United because... He's a player who uh, loves to run the channels, and I don't think we, do, we have done that well enough this season so far. I think if you've got Ronaldo in your team, you don't want people running channels from there. So Marcus, actually, I think, might find it difficult. Why? Because he can run the channel, but then you've got to kind of shift the play across 10 yards. So everyone's got to go to the right to open the channel up to pull the defence apart. I think the reason why Pogba works there for me, and it's like you're right, you're highlighting what you said there about, about it not working at times. You saw in the first half today that it was one instance where Pogba had the ball in the channel and Luke Shaw overlapped him beautifully. And what did Pogba do? Turned his head inside, looked for Bruno. And he played it across to Bruno. 
and they lost the ball when really all he had to do was kind of look right but play it left and Luke was in like by miles so that's on Paul Pogba so stylistically speaking yeah Paul Pogba will always play more narrow he's more of a midfielder than say Marcus who is much more of a kind of flying attacker but I'm not sure whether it would work better today if you'd have had someone who had genuine width there that's also why I think we didn't start Jaden Sancho. So Jaden Sancho's a guy who stretches the play across the pitch. He would obviously play on the left or the right. He didn't get selected today. And I think it's for those exactly for those reasons, is that when you're playing against a low block, or it said here the, the selection says 4-4-2, that was slightly different to that, is that if you're trying to open up the channels and find a way to get the ball to Ronaldo, because let's be honest, that's what United are trying to do now, get the ball to Ronaldo in the box and let him score. This is the game plan now. If you're going to do that, you need to be smarter with your tempo. And I think when you look at the five behind Ronaldo here, so we're looking at Greenwood, Fernandez, Pogba, Fred McTominay, that 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 passing function between those five has to be crisp. It's what I call popping the ball about. One, two, three, four. Well, that's the tempo. And United don't play to any tempo. What do they do? They walk Too many the touches. That's the problem. They right? walk the ball up the pitch and they go into areas where they can overload, but then they don't overload because they're not playing with pace. Like you just said, there's no Marcus. You can't overload. And then you've got maybe Pogba coming inside and Shaw overlapping, which is the correct way to play the system. But then Pogba's not playing Shaw the ball. So what does Shaw think next time? I won't overlap then. He's not going to give me the ball. So that these are these are kind of communication issues because one, I want Ole telling his guys to play with more tempo. Two, the second half, United proved that it was tempo issue in the first half because they were better in the second. But then I think three, when you kind of look at that middle part of the pitch behind Ronaldo, you could see again that there's just a bit of fragmentation between what Bruno does, how Greenwood plays and how Pogba wants to wants to kind of dance around that system. And that is an issue for me because, again, Bruno was 10 today, dropping into eight positions, almost dropping deeper, coming, getting the ball, going wide again. Not as bad as maybe in other weeks when he's done that. Um, and he did obviously show a good connection with Ronaldo for the goal. But that still is a problem for me, is that United look like they're still not particularly comfortable in their own skin when they're trying to create the tempo that they need to create. I think there's a little bit of an adjustment as well to playing with Ronaldo. I think one of the biggest things about Ronaldo, and we're seeing this a lot, is he, he's, his movement's so smart, Rob. It is, it's so clever. The way he times his runs. We saw that for the goal. Again, we're seeing some nice link-up between Bruno and Ronaldo. Bruno's done that. He did that, obviously, against Young Boys. He's finding Ronaldo. That's working quite well. But there's still an adjustment because Ronaldo's movement is, is extremely good, and obviously the players are still trying to get used to it. What I'm worried about slightly is I don't want us to become so focused around just providing Ronaldo with with opportunities. I know that I know that, that means Ronaldo will score a lot of goals, but I do think that might hinder the side as a whole. So for me, I, I do agree with you. I think when you're looking at the the three behind um, Ronaldo, that could change every game. You could have Sancho on the right. You could have Martial on the left. Rashford's going to come back as well. So that could change a lot. So I do think that United still have to find the right balance there. Mason's been fantastic this season, but for me today, Rob, when I saw Mason playing today, I felt United needed possibly someone more like Sancho, who's going to hold the ball a little bit and be a bit more intricate and be a bit more creative. Mason, for me, isn't that. He's going to go for goal and score. And you have to start him today, but that's what well, I was thinking sort of maybe 60 minutes in, that would have been a good time to bring on Sancho, someone who's going to hold it, be a bit more intricate, find Ronaldo, that sort of thing. But that's, that's how I sort of saw it today. 
Yeah, I think the shape of the game dictated the substitution. So when Lingard and Sancho came on, I thought that was the right point to do it. You know, I think if you'd done it any later, then you might have lost some some impact. But I think if you'd gone earlier, it would have been unfair on Mason. On Mason. I don't think Mason did anything wrong today. I think what you want in this shape, in this kind of four-two-three-one, when you're playing a low block, is as I said, one, the tempo to be better. Two, the passing to be better. But then you've got to allow someone like Mason to go and get closer to Ronaldo, yeah, in the system. So that's why you play Pogba on the opposite side, because what you then get is Fernandes and Pogba playing a little bit more kind of tiki-taka, you know, kind of more one-touch stuff, keeping it on that side of the pitch, and then allowing Mason to maybe ghost in towards the back post. So you go from left to the right-hand side. So I wouldn't say that, that Jaden had to start. And I think this is where I think United fans have to be careful because obviously Jaden started in the last game in the Champions League. And we all know how that went. Now, that wasn't Jaden's fault because it's just simply how, how the game panned out and what Ole decided to do. I would put that more on the manager. But then, of course, if, you're, if your plan over three or four games is to spread out the minutes, you then can't take Greenwood out of this match say, well, you're going to have another game where you're not playing and we're going to play Sancho because we want to play him into form. So I was OK with Sancho starting on the bench late. And I just think it's more about, Hayden making the system work for you a bit more. You know, football is a simple game when you do the basics. And when United in that last 10 or 15 minutes just played simply, simple football like you would on a football pitch, you know, you're not looking for the Hollywood pass. You're not trying to do something that's world-class. You're just trying to progress the ball from Luke Shaw to Paul Pogba's area to Ronaldo's area by playing three or four quick balls. That's all you want to do. It doesn't have to be special. It doesn't have to be world-class. You know the goal that Lingard scored the other week, the fourth goal in that game, and it was those little passes, and everyone was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. What a fantastic bit of play. Well, it was amazing, but it was simple. It's really simple football. Football is at its best. But that's what he did today, Rob. He went back to basics and going back to basics. Yeah, he did. Fred in there. And that, that's what he had to do to get the win after what we saw midweek. It wasn't time to tinker. And that's why I understand. I actually tweeted before the game, Rob. It was actually the right decision Sancho didn't play. But as the game was progressing, I thought, you know what? Sancho's qualities with his retention in the final third, his creativity would have been a bonus. I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Some people saying, you know, sort of they thought Wan-Bissaka was very good today, more effective in the final third. Others were asking, saying they did see him overlap. I thought Wan-Bissaka was decent without being, without being spectacular. But it is an issue that, um, you know, his maybe lack of overlapping or going forward is going to hinder whoever is playing on that right-hand side. Well, this is what we're talking about, you know, about where if you bring Sancho in, you have to decide what you want to do with him. Do you want to play him on the left? Do you want to play him on the right? Do you want to kind of play him more as a as a number 10? There's there's options with Jaden Sancho. It's just about how do all these pieces fit together? And I think there is a a valid claim here that, that Ole hasn't had substantial time still with his team. Like we're talking about these three signers coming in. Has he found a way to, to get the best out of them? Well, it's quite clear that the answer to that is no. We, we're not seeing the best. You know, it's not the best chemistry. It's not the best passing. But there are basics here that I would just expect good footballers to be able to do. So, like like we said, I'll go back to it. You know, I talked about tempo just a minute ago. I want to see Man United seeing, playing against low block and saying, right, we've got to move the ball quickly. We've got to get up the pitch quickly and be able to face Declan Rice in an area where Declan Rice doesn't want to face you. Yeah, Declan Rice does not want to be on the edge of his own box. Declan Rice wants to come and meet you higher up the pitch or come and destroy you in other kind of combinations. So like, say, for instance, if McTominay gives the ball to Bruno, Declan Rice will smell it. He's coming out quickly. He's going to meet Bruno in an area that suits him 
and not suit Bruno. So these are little things uh, that you can definitely iron out over a longer space of time. When you look at the um, the stats, which obviously we've got rolling across the bottom here and, and backing up what we're talking about, United had 17 shots today, uh, 10 on target, but that came later. You know, it came when they sorted it out up until... I think the 80th minute or maybe the 75th minute, maybe when the substitution came, United only had two chances in the whole of the second half. And that shows that there's still an issue with passing the ball and creation. We had all the possession today. So the ball was ours. It belonged to us, but we still couldn't quite do it. But what's really important is that you win the game. I say it all the time, don't I? You don't have to be perfect. You can come away from these matches and say, have a game where you feel you did 80% of what you wanted to do. But if you go away with a victory, then everything's great. Look, Rob, last season we had an awful start and, you know, it was three defeats, wasn't it, in our first five, I believe. We're hit sitting here with four wins in five, one draw, sitting at the top of the table, Liverpool and Chelsea. Chelsea looked very good just now. Liverpool looked very good. Maynard haven't hit their gear yet, but we're obviously sitting at the top with them. So I'll take that at the minute, you know. I'll take that where we are. We can get better. The combinations aren't fully there. We've got a couple of new players to bed in as well. But I just I look at it and I think there's always it's a great foundation we can be we can be better and we we know that already. But let's move on, Rob, to Jesse Lingard because I think you know in the summer we we did a preseason show as well and we said you know we'd get rid of Jesse probably if some money can come in. Jesse wanted to stay as well. Obviously United were possibly looking to ship him out. There was talks about him going to West Ham, but Jesse Lingard has come in and he's he's been fantastic, Rob. If I'm honest, he's probably pushed himself further forward and uh, further ahead of the pecking order than Donny van der Beek, which is which is something, obviously, which some fans are quite surprised about, myself included. But two goals now in two Premier League games. Have Has Oli got a little bit of a, a game changer on the bench? I know it's very early days, but you're looking at that bench. Compared to last season, we had Sancho sitting on the bench. We had Lingard. We had van der Beek. I believe Marcel was there as well. There's real quality on that bench. He could be key, couldn't he, in coming in. If, if Jesse chips in with seven to ten goals this season, Man United are that much closer, aren't they, to winning the title? Definitely. I think it was you, Hayden, that said you wanted to sell him, not me. So just let's put that out there first. Listen, um, but, you, would have, you would have been happy if Jesse had gone. You wouldn't have minded. No, much. I wouldn't have been happy. I wouldn't have minded, though. You're right. I wouldn't have minded, but I wouldn't have been happy. Why? Because Jesse Lingard's an England international, you know, and <laughs> that's what he is. So, you know, I think, again, in these scenarios, it was quite smart to bring him on at, uh, when Ole did. I wouldn't have started him. There was a lot of talk before the game where United fans were saying that, that they're going to definitely start Jesse because he knows West Ham. I looked at it the other way. I thought, you don't start him because West Ham know him. They know what he does, so they could have defended against it. But it's much better, obviously, later in the game when you're trying to win it or trying to obviously get points out of it. We can bring on someone that can impact. So, yes, Jesse Lingard, for me, as an impact substitution, is perfect. He's great at what he does. You know, he can do that, give you 15, 20-minute spells, especially when you're trying to do more in the final third. What I don't like for Jesse Lingard is when, like, say, in the European game that we saw the other day where he's brought on, he's kind of given defensive duties to do, you know, he's kind of been a more kind of traditional number eight midfielder. He's not. He's not a number eight. Never has, never never was, never will be. So let's not do that. You mentioned Donny van der Beek there. I think, again, this is kind of a, a stylistic thing where you can see why Ole goes to Lingard in these moments and not Donny. Why? Because you're trying to move the ball. Your legs, but you're, you're trying to move the ball quicker. You're trying to get impact on the edge of the box. And you think about Jesse Lingard's goal. Jesse Lingard gets the ball on that left-hand side. It comes to him there. And he takes one touch to get it out of his feet, but it's a bad touch. 
he takes it and he, he drags it a little bit too too narrow. And then the second touch, rather than just putting his foot through it, which is what a lot of people would do, is that he drags it into the area that he wants to. So he creates the shape. And then you see, obviously, that that sells the West Ham defence because they know what he's going to do, but they can't do anything about it because he's done the right thing. He's opened the space up. And then it's just about accuracy. So in that moment, do I want Donny van der Beek wrapping his foot around the ball and putting it in the top corner? Or do I want Jesse Lingard? Every day of the week, I want Jesse. I want Jesse doing it because that's what he does well. He does it really well. He's confident in those moments. And he you know, he knows that football pitch. He's been at West Ham. He, he wasn't there to kind of hurt West Ham. But of course, you want to prove yourself always, don't you, when you get those minutes? So I think for Ole, Jesse will be an important part this season. Does Jesse Lingard push for a starting place now? Well, maybe. But, you know, we've just done a segment, obviously, on Jaden Sancho and, and Greenwood. And that's really who Jesse is competing with. You could also say that Jesse's competing with Bruno. But I think with Bruno's style and function... Jesse can't do what Bruno does. So we know Bruno's not perfect. And I think today there were things again that Bruno didn't do very well. Overall, you want your connection, your top end of your pitch to be Bruno and Ronaldo. So I think for Jesse, he's just going to have to keep doing what he's doing, coming on with cameos and scoring goals. If that happens, Haydar, there is a chance that that takes United up another level. Like, you know, I talk about this all the time about bench strength and depth and things like this. It's not always just about numbers and people. It's it's about what that one person can do for you in that moment. So on the opposite scale, you know, when Matic came on with three minutes to go, I was a bit like, because you're going to lose all your mobility, you're going to lose other parts of your assist, game. Though, Robert, it's a good but he gets the assist. He comes in, he exactly comes on and he gets the assist because he plays a straight ball into feet. So Ole gets that one. So I'm nervous as a football fan because of what I'm thinking or as a football journalist, but Ole's got the keys to the car. That's what it's about. It's his decision. So he made that with three minutes to go. That ball goes into Jesse. He might have said that as well. You know, that might have been instruction. When you get the ball, look for the channel, get the ball into Jesse and let Ronaldo be the decoy. So that's how that goal worked. So I think it's really, really good. That's promising for me. So even all the things that we're talking about where stuff hasn't worked, there are definite positives. Yeah, and Rob, also, you know, you've got to give Oli some credit as well for the substitutions today. We, we were disappointed what we saw against young boys. We were, we were questioning why you're bringing on, the, obviously, we had the players sent off of wan Why are you bringing on defensive players? Obviously, we didn't do a master class after that. Myself and you have had a conversation about that. But today, I think he got it spot on. I think Jesse Lingard was the right option to come on. I was thinking, you know, sort of van der Beek, and there are questions here, Gerard sort of saying, you know, when will uh, Donny get a chance? Fred will play most weeks. It seems like Oli likes Matic. What I do want to say, though, is I think as of right now, and this is a positive for Bruno. You mentioned Bruno as well. Obviously, Bruno is the starter. But now uh, now Oli can turn around and say, I've got Jesse on the bench. I can maybe bring Bruno off 10, 15 minutes before. I can rest him a little bit. I can give him some rest on like I did last season where he was overplayed. And then when you're looking at Van der Beek as well, where is he going to fit in? I think he's going to play deeper in the pivot. That's just where I think he is. Last season, we said he couldn't do that. I think this season, though, that's probably where he'll get most of his mitts. And looking at Jesse as well, though, Rob, he's he's obviously a local lad. And we talk about this, and it doesn't mean that if you're a local lad, you get Manchester United more. We've had people like Evra and, you know, non, uh, non-English non or, or Mancunians who have been one of our some of our greatest players who just get the club. I think Bruno's another one. And we have so many in our history and in our past. But I think one thing about Jesse, though, is he did want to stay. He, he does love the club. He is a local lad. He did want to stay and fight for his place. He did want to play with Ronaldo. He wanted to have one more opportunity. And you only got to take your hat off to him and just give him so much praise. And even Oli, you know, obviously, Oli has 
people maybe are negative sometimes about some of the stuff he says in the press, but there's no doubt that he gives his players confidence, doesn't he? And he's given Jesse confidence to come back and do what he's done. And I'm just delighted for Jesse because I've always had a soft spot for him. But I would have sold him. I'll be honest with you, I would have sold him. But if he can contribute like this and it allows other players to have a rest and it allows us to rotate the squad and we have more quality coming off the bench, I'm delighted. But that's why time is really important. And what I mean by that is that it's time to let players either succeed or fail. So I'm happy with Jesse being at the club because it gives him the opportunity. I'm not massively interested in about contract lengths and all of those things. They're not things that kind of float my boat. I get why we talk about them. I get why they are important, why football fans want to kind of discuss it. We're now in a situation where we know that Jesse Lingard is in co is in conversations with Manchester United about extending his deal. That's been happening with uh, him and his father and trying to find a way to, to keep him at the club. But like you just said there, he's a local lad. Uh, these things are not always important, but it's the same way that we look at, I don't know, like Catalan uh, people when they look at Barcelona. You know, these things do do bring you, do change the conversation is what I'm trying to say. So, so Jesse's from Warrington, just outside Manchester. He loves the club. He wants to stay at the club, but then there has to be some impact and value from that. So again, like I said at the, at the start of the segment, Jesse is an England international. He's not a bad player. I think he's got a little bit of a bad rep from maybe how previous managers have played him. Uh, he was always an attacking player. Even going back over the years when he was a kid, he was an attacking midfielder, number 10, who could score goals and score goals for fun. And I always want to see Jesse Lingard be that type of player. I don't think he's a versatile midfielder. Like, he can do other stuff, but what's the point? You might as well use Van der Beek. You might as well use Fred and McTominay. Just can kind I, of can I throw a spatter in the works? Go on. A little bit. I, I was still getting rid of Jesse Lingard at the end of the season. I was still moving on. I know he hasn't signed a new contract, so he's probably off. But I, so why, I do why, think why that, would you? Why? Why would I get rid of Jesse Lingard? Because I, I've seen Jesse a lot for Manchester United, where he goes through purple patches, you know, purple spells. He needs to play regularly at this stage, stage of his career. I think he still needs to play regularly to to be the player that he can be. We saw that at West Ham. He will be on the bench. Um, you know, I think that United can shift off the wages and bring someone in that will fit the squad better, in my opinion. <laughs> And I look at the academy as well, and I know this is obviously early days, but there are academy players that, that could come in and take that place and score someone like Hannibal, for example. So for me, I just look at it and I think, do I want to go and give Jesse Lingard, what, 150 grand? I know money shouldn't matter, but I just think that United can use that those wages elsewhere in the squad. You look at our wage bill, it's bloated at the moment. We've still got David De Gea and, and Henderson both fighting for that spot. So yeah, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lose any sleep if we lost Jesse. I love him, but I want to go and see him play more regularly. And... Yeah, I, I just wouldn't be bending over backwards to to ask him to stay. I wouldn't be losing any sleep either. I agree with you. But this is what I just, you know, to kind of buck that point, what I just said is that this is why you need to give players time. So do I think that Jesse Lingard would be a much more effective bench option in the next one to two years than Hannibal? Now, I want to see Hannibal get minutes. Absolutely. I think he's going to be a great player and I think we're going to find a way to get him into the team. But I don't think you then... Make yourself weaker to make yourself stronger. This is the whole point. You know, we look at it, we look at the wage bill. The wage bill is something for the financial guys to sort out, and, and that's up to the Glazers. That's something that, again, I think it's really difficult. Fans now start to think in fancy football terms or computer games that that you balance those books, and that's that's something to think about. I don't think like that. I think Jesse Lingard is a really good option from the bench. If he went because he wanted more minutes, he wants to go to West Ham and play every week. I would, you know, pat him on the back, Haydar, and I would say, thank you for your service. Off you go, lad. No problem. Let's get on with the game. You know, let's get on with our squad and build what we need to build. 
But as it stands, if United give him a contract, he is useful. He is useful. He will get you goals. He is. He gives you options. Like I just said, I don't see him as a versatile midfielder, but he gives you something else that maybe you don't have in the squad. So today you might have gone and put Wamata on the pitch. Yeah? You might have looked at a Wamata type character and said, that's what you need. Someone who's going to get the ball in around the box, maybe field Ronaldo. Then, of course, you become just very Ronaldo-centric. You're not really trying to score goals from other positions. You're just trying to find players that get the ball to Ronaldo. And that is, of course, the fear. For Jesse Lingard on the edge of the box, that's not what Jesse Lingard's going to do. He's not going to look up and just say, right, where's Cristiano? He's going to go, I trust myself. I'm a goal scorer. I'm going to put it in the top corner. I think this year, Jesse Lingard, as a substitute, can get double-digit goals. 100%. I really in, believe in, that. In all comps, yeah. In all, in comps. all competitions, yeah. Even in the Premier League. You know, if he gets... If he, you know, I look at him, he's he's the kind of player that is capable of going on runs, like you said, purple patches. But I think form is a visceral thing. And it's, it's about function. And I want Jesse to have an impact on winning. Yeah, I don't really care what he does, to the truth. If he scores one every four games or one every 10 games, I don't really care. As long as he impacts winning. Today, Jesse Lingard was the main reason why Man United won this game the main reason. So if you don't have Jesse Lingard and like say there, you were like, I'm happy to get rid of him. Well, we could have sold him to West Ham. He would have been playing today, Haydar, for West Ham. And we probably wouldn't have won the game. And he might have scored the goal that put us... Uh, True. But I'm looking, I'm looking away. in a long-term phase. I understand today. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, get, I, I, I get, I get, I get. I agree with you. I wouldn't lose. I wouldn't lose sleep if he left because that's that's the term you used. But at the same time, I would rather United paid him and kept him because he is he is has functionality. He will score you goals, and it doesn't mean that just because Jesse Lingard leaves the football club that then the, the kind of the perfect scenario is that Hannibal plays minutes because, like we've seen with Donny Van der Beek, Donny Van der Beek isn't playing. Why? Because of Donny Van der Beek. He's not not playing because like he's a he's a brilliant player and he's sat there and he's just waiting for his chance. Well, he is waiting for his chance. But these are the reasons, hey, that's the way I look at it. It's kind of much more rounded. Uh, I want to keep uh, Lingard if they can agree a deal. I won't feel bad about that. And I also don't think selling him means that other players will suddenly step up to the plate. What you do is, is that you train them all, you keep them all, and then you play the best one. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, it's very fair points, Rob. Let's move on, though, to David De Gea. But before we do that, I want to incorporate that as well with uh, the penalties. So it's a good comment here from Alan saying, penalty decisions also had an impact. I thought yep. Kufel, uh, Kufel's foul was a uh, penalty. He stepped in front of Ronaldo and caused the contact. Zuma's non-call was clear and ridiculous as well. There were some very, very strange decisions today, Rob. I was really I was really surprised at some of them. You know, Martin Atkinson did not have a good game. It wasn't a consistent game, in my opinion. And you saw the Ronaldo one, especially the, the one when Kufel went across him. That was, that was, for me, a penalty. But we saw David De Gea come in and uh, he's had a season where I think we've seen a lot of uh, good things from him. I'm seeing him closer to what he was. Real terrible at last season we saw with the whole uh, the penalty shootout obviously in the Europa League. I've never had confidence with De Gea with penalty saves. You can see that with his record. It's three penalty saves. I mean, the one I can remember the most, obviously, is the Van Persie one. And then United went on to win 8-2, I believe, in that game. But looking at him today, I mean, that was... That was absolutely brilliant. That was, uh, I'm so happy for him because if there's one player that's taken a lot of flack over the last year or so and he hasn't been good, he's lost United points, even though he's got a lot of credit in the bank for years and years of, of carrying this Manchester United team for at least a good four or five years. Great save. I'm still puzzled why Moyes uh, brought on Noble for that penalty right at the end. I mean, I think that was a little bit strange, but he has got a great record. But yeah, what are your thoughts on David De Gea? Because he really ha is having a little bit of a redemption story this season and I'm just really happy for him. For me, he's Man United's number one. 
there's still a few things that, you know, in terms of he's still shaky a little bit under the high ball that's not been fixed. But for me, he, he takes that spot as uh, the number one goalkeeper at Manchester United. Well, just to show that I'm neutral in my analysis, the two Ronaldo penalties that weren't given, I agree with. I don't think they were penalties. They're not penalties this season. Why are they not penalties? Because we're allowing much more contact. We're allowing players to get closer. And even though, that yes, they did touch. And I think you see with the second one, you see it from the second angle. Yeah, the first angle, it looks very close. It looks like he brings him down. And then when you look from the angle from behind, what does Cristiano do? Does that classic jerk over the leg? Yeah, because he's feeling the contact. He's looking for it. He's selling it. And that's why VAR didn't give it because the referee sees that. He sees that jerk. And basically, players are allowed to come together this season. So I didn't think those two things were penalties. I also think the Luke Shaw penalty could well be debated because we've, we've changed the handball law, the ball this year. So, yes, it hit him on the wrong side of the point of the elbow, which is why the penalty was given. But what I will say is this, is that referee saw that. The referee was right in front of it. It was like, 12 yards from it and his first decision was no penalty because he saw that Luke was in what is now a natural position if you're going across and you'll put your arm out as long as your arm isn't completely extended that's then it's kind of considered a natural position but you're leaning that way so that's what the rule changes changed but what happened VAR saw it told the referee to go and refer have a look he looks at it Luke's arm is out a bit it does hit him just the wrong part of the the elbow on this side they give a penalty david de gea so as soon as david de gea like got himself ready for that penalty and then <laughs> the strange decision to bring on a substitute to take a penalty for no reason at all except that of course noble is a very good penalty taker i thought with david i didn't think he'd save it you know i really really didn't but i think that this plays in to the narrative that david de gea really wants to be manchester united's goalkeeper you know i think i said in previous shows that um that it's kind of well documented that he's been to the manager and said, I want to stay. I want to play. I want to be the number one. He came back early from his holiday to train hard. And you can just tell that there's something different about him just to, in terms of an uptick. You know, he knows he's got this young buck on his, uh, you know, on his tail. He knows that this guy will take his place and he's going to sit on the bench and De Gea doesn't want it. Now I'm not saying that's why he saves the penalty today, but you could see that, De Gea looked confident in that moment to me. You know, he looked like ready to save that penalty. And obviously it was a big, strong hand. Not a great penalty. Pretty easy, I think, for most goalkeepers if they dive the right way. Off the ground, two, three feet. Nice and easy. But credit to David De Gea. Because I think David De Gea, there's still a lot more to come from him. I do think that it'll be a battle for him to keep the gloves off uh, Henderson. But at the moment, Henderson doesn't start. You know, not there's, there's no way that you could pick Henderson at the moment over De Gea. De Gea is showing all the things that he needs to show. He's not the goalkeeper from five years ago. But I think this could be a bit of a renaissance season from him in terms of coming back. And and he has to keep doing this. He has to keep saving United. He's done it now two or three times yeah, this year. In the last, in the last, so last game he did it. And then he did the game before against Southampton. Remember the save? The, the, yeah, the yeah. Well, the Wolves one as well, wasn't it? The, the Wolves on yeah. the line where he saves it, gets his he's hand saved, up. He saved United six points, I believe, so far yeah. this season. Yeah, so, so like, even so early in the season, we just talked about the table at the start of the show. You know, six points is a lot of points at this part of the season, isn't it? Now, you know, at the end of the season, six points is still a lot of points. You know, if you lose the title by three points or two points or one point, then you look, you're looking at where you lost points. But you very rarely remember that it was actually a goalkeeper save that earned you the points early in the campaign. So I think that De Gea is an asset. He's an experienced player. And I think United need to learn, lean on their experienced pros now. Now, Ronaldo's one of them. 
Bruno's one of them. De Gea is one of them. These are guys who are kind of captains in their own rights that people will listen to in the dressing room. And that will help the young players who are coming through. And Henderson's going to have to watch and learn because he didn't have a great spell at the end of last season. Henderson did okay, but wasn't great. Then obviously he's had injuries. So when he gets his chance, and no doubt it might be, you know, in the League Cup, it might be in these games, the games that he doesn't really want to play in, he's now got to show that his his form is at the very height of it that it can be. Because De Gea is playing at standard now that he has to, at very, very least, match. Yeah, just to sort of wrap up on that as well, I do want to say that what's impressed me the most is that I know David De Gea is on a massive, massive wage. We all know that. So it would have been difficult for United to ship him off, but he could have gone to a, a cl another club in Europe and been number one. Like he's still good enough to do that. It's the fact that he's actually wanted to stay and fight for his place is something that I'm very impressed with. And he deserves that, Rob. You know what? He stayed. I know this is a bit more nostalgia, but he stayed at this club when he could have gone to Real Madrid and won multiple four Champions Leagues or whatever it was. And he stayed and and he he does have that credit in the bank. And I know that you need to pick players on form, but I was still always of the view that I wasn't never I was never really convinced with Henderson. I think he's a better he's right off the off his line and he's better at commanding his box. But for me, David De Gea is a superior keeper overall. And I'm just really really pleased to see David do that. And I want him to continue it because I think that uh if there's one player that does deserve to go and win a, a Premier League title or, or uh, you know even a Champions League here at this club, it's it's David De Gea for me. So, uh, Rob, let's move on, though. And this is something a little bit, something to do with the game. But I want to talk about Phil Jones. And we've had this conversation, haven't we, sort of uh, sort of off air. And I think we need to bring this to the listeners' attention because this is something, look, <laughs> me and you have had a little bit of a, we had a clash over it. But obviously, Phil we Jones. Had a conversation. We, had we had a conversation. conversation. We had a conversation. We had a conversation. So the whole story with Phil Jones came out. And it was, was it Jonathan Northcroft? Northcroft, I believe he wrote. Today, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Wrote the story. The Times. And it was actually a very difficult read. It was a very, it's very, it's very sad to to listen to what Phil Jones has gone through. Obviously, we know that with his injuries have been absolutely horrific, but it's the whole mental impact of it. Something you mentioned to me actually, maybe three, four weeks ago when we did have that discussion, and we're having a look at it, and uh, obviously getting trolled by people online, getting abused by people in the street as well. Obviously, coming back and just just not knowing what to do, trying to get fit, coming back. You know, putting on the sort of the compression boots, etc. What he what he needs to do to get fit, has not been able to do it. And uh, obviously, I tweeted about a month ago, and I'll hand, hold up my hands. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. You know, getting frustrated, like, oh, he's, he's stealing a living, he's stealing away. He's not really knowing the full story. And I and I hold my hands up and I say, you know, I was wrong in that situation. As someone as you know this as well, and I'm happy to share someone that has struggled with his mental health in the last year as well. You know, it was it was pretty bad bad of me to do that. Um, but it's a really sad read, isn't it? And it's it's actually bringing sort of the humanization of or footballers, and I think we do forget that as as general football fandom, don't we? we? Forget that players are players are humans, aren't they? Obviously, they might be earning a hundred a grand, two hundred grand a week, but that doesn't mean that they don't feel it when they're abused and they're trolled and all these horrible things that that happen. You, you see, obviously, when Saka, Greenwood, and Sancho, and Saka, sorry, Saka, Rashford, and Sancho miss those penalties and the racial abuse and the, the impact it has on these players. So, what's your thoughts on it? Because I think it's really brought out a side that uh, fans haven't thought about when it's come to Phil Jones? I think footballers in general do get dehumanised anyway. So, you know, we see them as very rich playboy superstars. They're kind of in positions of kind of power with the money that they have as millionaires. As You know, you just turn up, don't you, for work and you're a millionaire. Hooray, you kick a football around. That's, that's life in, in this game. I think when we talk about mental health and we talk about the strains that players go through in, in football it's no different to the strains that anyone goes through you know everyone who has a life or a job 
or has to kind of facilitate looking after a family or have a career and earn a wage and do your job well. Everyone goes through the same pressures. It's just that we have different kind of tags and different maybe levels for it. That's all it is. So when we look at Phil Jones, and this is kind of the assertion, this is com conversation that you and me had, the, the bit that I kind of uh, talked to you about at the time was the words that you used there was stealing a living. And it's a very harsh kind of set of words, stealing a living, because it kind of insinuates that the player just takes his money and just sits on his backside. Now, Football fans look at players who don't play in the starting eleven, and they do have those feelings about those players. So, you know, let's look at someone in Manchester United set up. Now, let's look at Wamata. Let's look at Wamata. And Wamata doesn't play many games at all, does he? Doesn't really, doesn't really feature, and he earns a lot of money. But he's not stealing a living because he's there. It's just his job to not play. It's just what it is. So when we look at Phil Jones and we look at the article, and this is kind of touching, give you a little bit more depth. If people want to find it, it's all over social media uh, from the Times today. It was just Phil talking a lot about the Rio Ferdinand situation. It was Rio that triggered this debate around Phil Jones. And he basically said that uh, Phil Jones, the position that he's been in the last few years at Manchester United, the he should have manned up. Again, that's another weird thing we hear a lot in mental health, isn't it? Why have you not manned up? It's, like, it's actually a very what? surprising it, it, term to come from someone like it, Rio because Rio has done a lot of... It, he did that documentary on mental health, I remember, obviously, with, with his wife passing. And it's, it's a bit surprising that maybe he threw that term out. It's more to do with... When I say manned up, that was more kind of what Twitter was saying off the back of it. So I'm not... It wasn't a quote-unquote, but it was more a case of... Rio was basically questioning that that really, like, when it's not working for you at a football club, you should just leave. That's what he was saying. He was saying, you know, if you're injured, go and get fit and go and do it somewhere else. And it was a bit of what we call in the business a hot take. Yeah, it's a hot take because you say it on your channel and people get excited about it and it gets retweeted and it goes. So I think that's why Rio said it. And I think Rio, as an ex-player and as an ex-Man United player as well, an ex-England captain, yeah, should have more about him. So this, that's a criticism directly of Rio. And this is what the piece was about today, is that Phil Jones said that he respects Rio, but then explained why it's not a case of just manning up. It's not just a case of, you know, moving to another football club. To him, he wants to play for Man United. He wants to get fit. He wants to prove himself. But of course, he's had this debilitating knee injury. It's three years now that he's had it. If you have a player that's injured, you can't just cancel their contract. You can't just bin them. You can't just get rid of them. You could pay them off, but you don't just go. Now, he did sign a contract in the middle of that, and that was Oleg and Solskjaer that gave him that contract. And as we found out today, is that the injury that he has or has had is the same injury that ended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's career. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows all about this specific knee injury. So people criticised Ole and said, why is he giving him a contract? You don't give these things out, you know, willy-nilly. You don't. But at the same time, if they do get a contract, you don't kill them for earning a living. You know, you just don't. So I think with Phil Jones, will he ever be a star at United again? No, we know this. Does the squad run deep at United? Yes, it does. Does bits need to be trimmed? Absolutely. But this personal attack on players for these reasons must stop. It has to stop. We spent all this time and money and energy teaching and educating people about racism and about why racism is bad. And the reason why racism is bad is not just that it's unfair. It's because it destroys players' mental health. It kills them. It's wrong. But on the flip side of it, you also get situations like this where people just think that someone 
is just robbing the football club because they can. Well, do, you think it's, where... do you think it's a FIFA generation though? Obviously, where it, it was it was kind of perceived that if Phil Jones is still at the club, and and it is in some elements, it's true though because Phil Jones obviously signed that five year contract. I believe what was it four million a year he's on. So you know it was cheaper to, for example, keep Phil Jones. Than it was it's a whole Glazer element, isn't it? The Glazers don't want to spend more money on a new player, but they gave Phil Jones. A con There's that connotate those connotations and links. And let's say Manchester United. Don't didn't sign a midfielder. Let's just say in the summer because they couldn't shift someone like Phil Jones out. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That like, you know fans get frustrated that we've got players like this. Why are they even at the club? I understand. I still sit here and think, and you know that you agree with this. Well, Phil, Phil Jones needs to go and play football. He needs to not be at the club. But I think where I was wrong, and I'm going to put my hands up and say where I was wrong, is that I didn't even think about the human element of Phil Jones or what he's been going through. I just thought about from the purely footballing uh, and sort of like looking at the squad makeup and thinking, right, he needs to go because he's just, he's basically stealing a living, which was wrong, but I completely ignore that. And I think a lot of fans do do that. I think they just sometimes do forget that, you know, what he's actually been going through. Of course he wants to play. Of course he does. He's a footballer, but it's just a situation he's in. Unfortunately, it's just the, the cards he's been dealt. It's the cards he's been dealt. He's been injured. He's a Manchester United player. He wants to play football. He turns up every day at nine o'clock. He trains like a demon. He tries to get fit. He get tries to get himself where he is. Now, we, we had um, the same with this with Owen Hargreaves. Yeah, Owen Hargreaves comes to Manchester United, has one great season. Man United win uh, the Champions League. He's a huge part of that. He was a player that we needed, a final piece of the jigsaw. And then what happened? You know, his body gave up. So, you know, that's not his fault. So the two, three, four years he tried to get back fit and become the player that he once was, it's not his fault. But we do treat footballers like they're bits of meat. And this is the problem. Like it's a butcher's and they're just slabs of meat and you go and buy the one you want and you go and get on with it. And that's how you kind of make your stew. And we can't keep doing this. We can't, we're trying to educate people about the kind of horrors of mental health and how these things work in real life and real terms. And then we immediately dismiss it. So like you just said, they're obviously about, you know, suffering with mental health in the last year or something like that, Haydar. You know, this is about applying science, you know, that science to, to the football industry. And we see it all the time. Footballers do not are not giving the empathy that they deserve. You know, Phil Jones has, has a wife and family and his job is to try and provide for them. So he's not going to try and leave Man United anytime soon. Like you're just saying he needs to play football. Well, he needs to get fit, first of all. He needs to prove he can play football. Now, there was plenty of suitors for Phil Jones in the summer. So it wasn't true that they couldn't get rid of him. They could have moved him on. But obviously, clubs are looking at his injury record and they're looking for a deal that protects them. So there were clubs that wanted a loan deal. They wanted United to foot some of more of the wages and they would have taken Phil Jones. And United could have done that. United could have sent him to Fulham and he could have played there and they could have paid 8% of his wages. But they don't want that, Haydar, because the clubs only has self-interest and Phil Jones might play in the next game that we're just talking about. So he's fit. He played behind closed doors the other day. He's fit and ready to go to play football. And this is the bigger the bigger kind of point and the bigger question about football in general. So Ole has him because it's about the bottom end of the squad. You need players that come in for these games where you're rotating players, where you want to, you know, where you want to rest Varane, you want to rest um, uh, Maguire. You don't want Lindelof to play all of those games in rotation. So you might want to actually rest Lindelof. But then you've got the likes of Phil Jones. That's why he had two and Zabie in the squad last year. So it's it's the fit and the profile. And I just think that football fans need to just be a little bit kinder. Like, just you don't have to, just because a player isn't playing, have assumptions about what they are and what they do. Most of the time, 
football fans haven't got a clue what that player is doing or what that player is thinking. And they just judge it on performances. So today, Jesse Lingard's a hero, isn't he, uh, Haydar? Last year, Jesse Lingard was a demon. No one wanted him at Man United. So it shows how fickle football fans can be. But mental health is something that we're not going to stop talking about. And I think Phil Jones is, is a really, really good example of that. Yeah, I agree with that, Rob. That's what I said. So that's a nice little segue into the final final part of the show. We're just going to quickly touch on the next game. So I believe we're playing West Ham in the Cup. So we're playing West Ham again. Would you expect Oli to be ringing the changes, Rob? To be honest, I think it's a good opportunity to give Ronaldo a rest. I think it would be good to give Bruno a rest. I think Pogba as well played a lot of games over the international break. I think we can expect to see maybe Tellez play if he's not injured. I think you'll see Henderson come in goal. Lindelof will get a game most likely. Will Bailly get a game? It's a question. Will Oli ring all the changes as well? It would be interesting to see Dallow as well. And uh, we've got quality in the squad now, Rob. Look, you know, we could feel the front line of uh, Martial... It could be Sancho and it could be maybe someone like Cavani if he's fit. I mean, that's that's insane depth, isn't it? Considering where we were, where we were playing Gigalo a couple of seasons ago, it's, it's actually quite mind-blowing, to be honest. And then obviously you've got uh, Matic, you could play as well. So do you expect Oli to ring the changes or do you think he'll still go pretty strong? To be honest, it's a Carabao Cup and I know we always talk about this whole of last season. You know, I need to win a trophy, but I wouldn't be fielding a strong side in this unless you're getting close to sort of the, the knockout phases, you know, sort of like I'm talking the, the semis, obviously it is a knockout because it's a cup. There'll be 11 changes. Ronaldo will be at home in his sofa. Ronaldo's not going to go go to that game. No chance. So I think that this is your, uh, you know, a good ideal opportunity early in the season to make those changes. Like you just mentioned a few names there and they all need minutes. They need to play. They need to show the manager that they are, that they could be part of the conversation to be starters. So we know that Tellers has fallen way away from Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw's almost untouchable now, but if Luke Shaw gets an injury tomorrow, Tellers is going to have to start. That's how it is. You know, we look at the right-back situation with Aaron Wamasaka. Yes, he played quite well against West Ham today, but United really haven't got options there. So this is the kind of game where you can we give players that chance to say, do you know what? You may be not up here in the pecking order. You're further down here, but this is the League Cup. It's a chance to do it. It wouldn't surprise me, Hayden, if we lose it. It really wouldn't. It really It's the kind of game that when you're hyped up for the Premier League and the Champions League, that the League Cup becomes less important. Now, you have fans like if United lost to West Ham in this game. Yes, the Switterati would be on their phone straight away, banging away about Ole, this, that and the other in selections and shouldn't overcompensate with rotation, all of that. It's rubbish at the end of the day. What's important is that Ole puts out a strong team. He will because he's got depth. Yes, it might be like Matic starting with Donny van der Beek. That sounds maybe right. Tellez might start. I'm sure Henderson, if he's fit, will almost definitely start. De Gea is not travelling to that match. There's no chance he goes to that. And I think you might now have an opportunity to kind of take Bruno at the fire line. So last year, Bruno was kind of playing every match possible because uh, that was the nature of the beast. But now we're in a position where that's not the case. So I wouldn't be surprised even if Donny ends up playing more in a 4-3-3 and higher up the pitch, you know, as, as the number 10. But there's young players who can come in. We'll see, obviously, through the week whether they're ready and whether they kind of uh, look at the selections that United put out this week in the under-23s. But I think this is, we're going to see lots and lots of changes, and it's 100% the right thing to do. We want to win a trophy, but we get knocked out of the League Cup. I am not losing any sleep. No, not at all. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a Heli saying here, you know, we have got Villa next. Um, so that they're a good, they're a good side. Much more important game, a much more important game. 
And they, I looked at, I watched them the other day, obviously, you know, they've got a very, very explosive front three. They've got some real good attacking options. And I think that's where the focus should be. And we do know that May United have to focus on the Premier League. We've had a really good start to the season. And that's sort of my, my final word on it now, Rob, is, you know, I'm sort of thinking, you know, what are the positives to take from it? That was a much better performance compared to what we saw midweek. The, the problems are still there, I think, you know, in terms of moving the ball, the tempo, and things we've been saying. But, it, you know, the sort of, um, I would say the the structure and the the solidity of the team is much better when McFred do play. And that's why they play, simple as. We know they're not the best footballers out there. We know that. But it is much better. And we saw that today. You know, we saw last week and other games where we've just been broken on consistently because midfield do like to dive in and overcommit into tackles. We've seen Pogba do that when he plays there as well. But uh, look, positives. And we're what would you say is, you know, sort of a, a rating so far out of 10 from what we've seen? Well, results... Nine, 8.5, 9. That's okay. That looks good to me. Performances, 5 or 6. Average. Very average. That's yeah, very fair, yeah. A, a C minus, maybe, you know, in grading terms. I just think that, you know, here we are, you know, several games into the season, different competitions all ongoing at the same point. Uh, a relatively healthy squad. You know, United have started seasons in the past where they've not played well, but they've had lots of injuries and it's been tough to kind of get cohesion or players from the fringes to do more than you want them to do in a kind of season. But I think when you look at United, with the aspect of having players coming into the team of the standard of Ronaldo, of Sancho and of Varane, I'm now looking to see an increased tempo. I want to see United be more of a threat from the start of game. So in the first 25 minutes today, I was sat there kind of like, here we go again. This is the same stuff we keep seeing, losing the ball, you know, tempo not being what it should be. Uh, uh, maybe one or two players doing some good things and then one or two players just doing some awful things. So for me, it's about Ole. Ole now has to find that. Ole has to find a way to increase the tempo, keep the accuracy, get the goals, Get Ronaldo involved, but also get Ronaldo as a decoy, like we saw today with with uh, with Lingard. Because if you use Ronaldo as a decoy, you're going to get somewhere. Other players are going to score goals, and you're going to win games. It's great when you're at the top of the table. We're in the right place. It's where we want to be, and Ole will feel good about that. But I know at home, he'll be there thinking, there's still stuff to fix here, and how do I fix it? It might well be, hey, it doesn't truly get fixed until the next transfer window. I mean, you might be looking at someone like Jude Bellingham. You might be looking at a bassoon. Yeah, you might be looking at someone else. Yeah, see, I said that deliberately to make you dribble. So there we go. So fans look at that. They want more midfielders. And that. And we know United are looking at that. That's not a secret. United are, have got their scouts looking at midfielders and they've got, you know, they've got their hit list. We'll see how that goes. But we're closer. And, and this is what I always talk about progression, don't I? You know, you're getting closer. If you're getting the results, even if you're playing badly, then you can go to the training ground and you can say, hey, guys, play with some tempo. Today is going to be a tempo session. And you can get yourself doing the things that you actually want to do. You know, my, my final word on this, Rob, as well, is that we saw Manchester City drop points yesterday. It's so important for United to win today for me because that City side, we know this. They started so badly last season. They went on 20-game run and won 20 in a row, and that's what they can do. So I know you're going to say, oh, it's so, it doesn't matter. For me, that was important for us to, no, it's to important. get that win. 
because that's I think important. That I agree with you. There are so, <laughs> I thought you were about to say you didn't agree with me. And also, I think it's just it's it's important for us to build the momentum. We're not playing particularly flashy football, but when it does click, Robin, it will click with more game time and players getting. There's a couple of new players in getting used to the combinations, and I think United will start to fly. But it's so important that when you play poorly, you're still getting the results. Yeah, a Man United drew, drew against Southampton and it was the end of the world for some people. You draw against Southampton, it's like, what's going on here? Why are you drawing against this team? Southampton then go to City and should have arguably won the match. And City scrape a point. You know, I know they scored a goal that was VAR'd away at the end, but City didn't play particularly well. I think it's a really positive thing that City are human. It's the same things that we talk about all the time in football. Man United are also human. So you have to find a way to get your performance standards higher. And do you know what? If City are struggling now with the £100 million signing in there, then that is a good sign for Manchester United. This is this is our competition. We want them to lose and play badly. So I think Liverpool at the moment are the competition. I mean, when I look at Liverpool, they yeah, scare me really, a little bit. Really, really good this season. I think the front six are kind of popping and jiving and seeing stuff that I've saw two or three years ago. And I'm kind of thinking... Oh, that's not good. Trent is picked up where he was a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, like I think he's got a bit of a knock of stuff. But I think when you look at Van uh, Van Dyke's obviously coming in, just just doing what he has done before. And I think when you look at the competition, you know Chelsea have obviously got a big opportunity with what they bought last season and adding it to Lukaku this year. But United should also think like that. United should be thinking, hang on, even if we play badly, we should be able to blast teams away with what we've got. The issue still is, you said the Ronaldo point, is that United are really looking for him too much at times, and then other times he's getting isolated. So who has to solve that? Well, yes, the players, but for me, the manager. And I think this is where Ole will get judged this season, because if he doesn't solve that Haydar, United might even struggle to get top four. If he does solve it, United might win the title. So that's how close those kind of failure and success are. It's fine margins, isn't it, this season? Very fine. And this is where Jesse Lingard could be important because if you win the goal, the, the, the season by one point and Jesse Lingard sat on your bench, he doesn't do a lot, but he actually scores you six to ten goals just by kind of coming on in the last 20 minutes with cameos, you've won the title. That's all it takes. So it's about balance. It's about structure. It's about trying to find ways to win games. And it's good that United are finding ways absolutely and guys look thanks for joining us thanks for all your fantastic comments positive day today great day for david de Gea. even better day for jesse lingard enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and we'll see you next time this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network